Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Everything changes when one is introduced with the title of pastor, reverend, father, or preacher. An individual self-consciousness seems to invade the social space, consistently altering the subject under discussion. People somehow seem obligated to qualify themselves, dropping a sentence or two about their spirituality, about their church attendance, or lack thereof. Frequently, there may also be a reference to childhood, bringing up unbelievable memories and ethnic traditions or family practices. Since I was often introduced with such a title, I was self-conscious of the expectations. I was now the church or religion representative as the discussion twisted to a disagreement or disillusionment with organized religion. Over the years, I usually discovered I was in agreement with a person who ex was expressing their discontent and fully understood why they chose to disengage. While I've never taken a poll, I certainly have a lot of anecdotal evidence to conclude that people's primary distaste for organized religion is founded in what they perceive as hypocrisy. Leaders allow themselves to be perceived as somehow more holy, more together, closer to God, and wiser than the average Joe. It, it really can be quite off-putting, but it's also very seductive. Who doesn't want someone with an in with God? Why listen to sermons if the one preaching it doesn't have something you don't have? But then the hammer comes down and the stories unfold. The preacher didn't know how to keep his pants on. That leader, she had her hand in the till. The neighbor who was always going to church was rude to me. In some ways, this whole discussion can get mundane to me. It has, I've had it hundreds of times, if not thousands, but that's sad because it isn't mundane. It is so opposite of what the Bible teaches from the beginning to the end, perhaps nowhere and more prominently than in the leading figure of the whole Old Testament, King David. So let's find out more today from two special guests that I'm going to introduce in a moment after they give a little bit of an ex excerpt from the Odyssey of King David. Take it away. It was a simple direct letter, sealed and waxed by my ring's royal imprint. Put Uriah in the front line, then withdraw him so he will be struck down and die. I gave Uriah the letter to take back to our commander, Joab. Was there ever such an unsuspecting messenger, the letter carrier of his own death sentence? Joab, ever faithful, did as I ordered, and soon his messenger brought me word. My lord, Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, has been killed. 
I was now free to marry Bathsheba and legitimize the birth of our child and told the messenger to tell Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. These are calloused words without a trace of compassion for Uriah or Bathsheba. David bluntly tells Joab, what is done is done. Sadly, little does David realize the damage being done to his core identity. For though he escapes any legal consequences, the psychic consequences of his behavior, shame and insecurity, anger, fear, and dissociation cannot escape him. David will suffer in a prison of his own making. Listen to my crumble, Lord. Listen to my cry, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. I am in desperate need. Set me free from this prison. Well, so there's a little taste, and I'm going to let you, if you will, Deepal, um, I'm going to kind of start with you and then I'm going to have you introduce Dr. Sam Mayhew, but I need to start with, you know, who in the world goes by the name D Paul? How did you get that? (laughs) Well, I was uh, doing uh, an equity show, my first equity show up in Williamstown, Massachusetts with the great Olympia Dukakis, wonderful actress. If you remember her, and uh, I went into the equity office all excited and said, I, I, I've got a show. I can get my equity card. And uh, they said, and your name? And I said, it's Danny Thomas. And they said, it was Danny Thomas. It's <laughs> no longer Danny Thomas. And uh, you can only have one actor in equity or the Screen Actors Guild or after by the same name. And I passed on I Harry passed Schwartz. On Harry. Uh, nothing wrong with Harry Schwartz, but I passed. And uh, subsequently... Uh, just took my first initial D, my middle name, Paul, and D. Paul Thomas, and I have been getting uh, letters for DePaul University ever since, but it's it's worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And doc, I want you to introduce Dr. Sam and just tell you, Dr. Sam, if you keep your volume down a little bit, um, that might be a little of the feedback we're getting, but okay. would you, right. D. Paul, explain who Dr. Sam Mayhew is? Well, succinctly, that's difficult, but I'll say just a couple of quick things. One, first of all, Dr. Sam Mayhew, and we like to call him Dr. Sam, um, is indeed a dear friend, a dear friend. Uh, Dr. Sam is a world-class therapist, psychologist. He founded Integrated Behavior Health, and that's just been extraordinary, the impact of healing really around the nation and the world. And because that's what Sam is. Sam, Sam comes into areas of people's lives who are broken and uh, is a healer and a restorer. Uh, I think thirdly, the most important thing is Sam, and forgive me for just speaking so transparently, but Sam's a lover of Jesus Christ. He is a great man of faith. And um, that's meant more to me than anything. 
Well, I got to admit, um, you know, I am new to meeting you guys and, and I'm already, you know, I suspect we're going to be friends for a long time, mm. but Dr. Sam, you really, your resume, we can't get into it, but it's really a professional lifetime in the world of, the um, world of psychology um, and creating things in uh, hospitals and companies and just really impressive stuff. But after a lifetime of success in many ways in your field, why did you find it worth your time to actually write a book about a king who lived some 2,800 years ago in the Middle East? Well, over my practice, I had seen the best and the worst of uh, human conditions. Um, and as I finished my practice and wrote a book uh, with D. Paul's assistance about an individual that I met in Manhattan where I put a clinic into um, the Lambs Ministries out there. And I got to know this person who had been through almost all of the traumas and, and sins and uh, catastrophes, uh, psychotic, psychotic uh, reactions that he had had, very paranoid, uh, and I, I saw him recover from a life of, of that. And as Deepo and I were looking at writing the next book, we wondered, could we take a look at a dialogue with one of God's examples of leaders of what became the, the kingdom of Judah and, and Israel? And we selected... Uh, King David and started looking, okay, what has he been through? Could we have King David talk as though he were here today about his life? And that resulted in the, uh, the dialogue back and forth between uh, D. Paul and myself in the King David book. And as, as we discovered, when you go beyond the Sunday school level uh, discussion of King David and get to the, the grassroots of uh, watching Bathsheba and calling her over and getting her husband killed. And then all that he went through from then until he, he passed away. He lived a lot of life that we often experience, the kinds of difficulties mm -hmm. and pain and so on. And, and yet uh, he stayed true to God and God's grace and con continuous forgiveness for him resulted in the continuation of the Messianic line and, and ultimately Christ himself. So, Deepal, so would you um, just pull out a few of the things, because you've turned this book then into a show that's probably going to be, uh, when we open up things, going to get a little bit of a run in New York and in London. Could What are some of the things that really hit you? that kind of were turned into lines and, and touched your soul from David's story? Well, again, you know, the, the arrogance, the hubris that uh, David had, that once he had that, uh, that affair with Bathsheba, uh, you know, she sent him a message. The message was only three words. Mm. I am pregnant. That's it. I am pregnant. And that's <laughs> where it all began sliding downhill. And so he was really hoping to get rid of Uriah, her husband, quickly 
so that he would be able to marry Bathsheba. Perhaps even the child would be born someone late, and everyone would think, of course, that it was that it was uh, his son naturally. Uh, it's just so dramatic. What's Tolstoy's uh, introductory line, John, from uh, 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 um, Anna Karenina? Every every family is alike, but no family is really alike. Something like that. Yep. Uh, and David's family is is exactly that. They are so dysfunctional. I said to Sam, "You've got to come in and make commentary on it. I can I can write the Davidic narrative part." But uh, a therapist needs to come in and try to figure all this mess out. <laughs> no, it, I can't help but thinking when you when you say get David into the current day, and here at Church Hurts, as soon as you say Church Hurts, someone's going to tell a story about an affair that some prominent leader had, right? Or you know, heaven forbid the stories the people I've known with whom the minister had the affair with their wife. I mean, you want to talk about some consequences. I mean, you know, you want to say, well, fortunately, it wasn't with David because you'd be dead right now. But when you think about with David, I mean, so much came with what Dr. Sam, what you just said in terms of he went on to live a really amazing life in the height and the pinnacle of the Old Testament really occurs um, in the, the Davidic reign he was able to have a life and yet still we talk about him in light of that affair. And I wonder if we even give people a chance sometimes once they fall into those depths, a lot of people are just thrown in the trash. They don't get that chance. Right. Dr. Sam. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, in my first time as a church board member, after finishing my, my school, um, I noticed quickly the uh, kinds of uh, abuse, e emotional, verbal abuse of the pastor. And I was, uh, I felt I needed to provide emotional and spiritual support for this uh, young pastor who was under that uh, kind of attack. And as a result, I continued that role in other churches across my career as I uh, sat on committees or boards and, and, and obviously in, in with additional persons, I, I got to see the, the disobedience, the brokenness, the, the sexual sins and so on that would just devastate individuals, whether they be leader or not. And, uh, I think it, it, your, your program, uh, dealing with the hurting in the church, whether it be a pastor or, or a, a parishioner is so well needed. Mm -hmm. I, I was just thinking, I usually take a break now and I, and I'll, I'll do that just to mention that, you know, I work alongside standing stone ministry, which it cares for the frontline workers in the spiritual world, the ministers, missionaries, recovery specialists, and we, we provide an arm to lean on, an ear to listen, understanding with experience for, you know, an un unceasing prayer. Uh, this is done with no cost to those receiving it because, you know, those ministers and clergy people are always there asking from them, but we only do it because of the faithfulness and the support of people who listen here and for those who understand the importance actually of caring for those frontline workers. 
If you'd like to be part of that, if you would just go to churchhurtsand.org and click on that donate button and find out how you can help today. And I'd ask you to prayerfully consider if you'd hit that button that says, do you want to make your gift regular? And we promise that uh, we will squeeze absolutely every penny and uh, appreciate it more than you could possibly know. Uh, But I, I think, Dr. Sam, that is just a unique thing for you to come in and actually say, you know, I want to care. Um, for the pastor and with your training, I, I just want to thank you for it. I think a lot of people miss that side and a lot of those sins come about because when somebody is in such a position of prominence in David's case for so many, in so many ways to be under in the spotlight, sometimes you really want to seek that private safe place that nobody knows about and man, people can choose the wrong safe space, safe places, can't they? For sure. And we can start listing them, right? I mean, one of them can be David, and some of them can be drugs, and it can be alcohol. And so you got into a, uh, a lot of your work, I know, with addiction, and it's been healthy. But let me, you know, this is coming because the book's coming out and the show's going to come out. But let me just sidetrack for a minute um, to what you mentioned. Uh, about the man here in a whole career, there's one man that hits you that you want to write the book about. Um, Harold's story um, is the title of the book, isn't it? Yes. I gather you go and you find in really a a place that would be really a kind of a Christian Christian salvation Salvation army, this man who has so many issues that in many ways the world kind of wanted to give up on him and you didn't. What about that particular case made you want to write a book? Well, at the time, he was living in the residential uh, hall there of the ministry. I was putting a, a, a counseling center in there. And being a psychologist, he seemed to be attracted to me, wanted to sit with me in church, wanted me to ride on the bus with him to uh, um, a service in Brooklyn uh, with the black church and tremendous music and on and on and on. Uh, and I got to know that um, even though he was very sweet and, and serving people that were homeless there and well-loved and respected, that uh, he shared with me the, uh, the abuse that he had experienced uh, being abandoned by his mother at age four and a half, being abused in the uh, orphanage, uh, and, and then onto the streets and being on the edge of the mafia and br- knocking people off and just a tremendously dysfunctional life with trauma after trauma and ending with uh, um, overeating up to 310, 15 pounds. And <clears throat> as he told me all this, his memory was so accurate and, and clear. I said, you need to tell your story for others because those that have experienced some of this that helps them recover and, and be transformed and redeemed. And he said, I can't, I can't write. I can't. So I, I had him uh, dictate every week for almost uh, two years, uh, comments about his life. I sent, uh, back in those days, uh, uh tapes, uh, audio tapes and get, bought him a little tape recorder ended up with 500 pages of wonderful narrative straight from him. Uh, praise, uh, praises to God for his redemption, uh, prayers, prayers for continued forgiveness as he would remember sins. Uh, 
decided with uh, with Deepol at one point this this needs to get out. The story needs to get published, and and we did uh, put it out as an indication of what can happen to persons that have had multiple uh, destructive issues and people in their lives. Deepal, could, could I get you to speak up on the top of your head? Kind of be loud for us here. I know you're the actor. You can do that. Uh, give, give us a moment of what, what drama comes about and what's going to be Mr. Unknown is going to end up coming to the big screen at some point. Uh, but give me, give me a taste of that. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm reminded of when he has an epiphany. Uh, he was abused by the, the woman who is uh, entitled Ms. B, uh, Miss B uh, in the orphanage. And he was abused horrifically. And as Dr. Sam and others uh, poured their lives into his life, forgiveness, which is kind of an obsolete word, but we know that it is central and cardinal to our healing and to our restoration. You gotta forgive. You gotta forgive. It's the key. And he just has a moment where he cries out to God and he says, God, forgive Miss B. God, I forgive Miss B. God, maybe Miss B is in heaven and looking down on me right now. And if she is, help her to know that I've forgiven her. And so he has this. And Sam, you know it well from the book. That's the epiphany, isn't it? took place in his life and that 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 motif john of forgiveness uh, sam and tj productions has hired a wonderful uh screenwriter there in hollywood that that motif of forgiveness is what is going to go through the entire film and um that is what's redemptive and restorative in it you know when i did uh well, actually, all, almost all of my churches, but when we started to be allowed to do some some songs, weren't worship songs, but to communicate things, it was one that I just asked to have done all the time before messages, and it was a secular song by Don Henley called The Heart of the Matter, and there's that haunting refrain, I think, I think it's about forgiveness. And I just hear that in my head because I feel like even the person without a spiritual grounding at some point when they look into life realize it's about forgiveness because what a miserable life we can have if we don't let it go. And it sounds like that just really comes to the forefront. And there's another way, and I'm going to really sidetrack here for a second before we get back to Dr. Sam. I, I want to know, I found out deep you years ago were involved something called Bonhoeffer 1945. And for our listeners who've never heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you're going to wonder what in the world, who's that guy, what's he doing coming up in this conversation? But in my opinion, he was one of the greatest theologians, certainly one of the greatest, um, impactful theologians of the 20th century, a Christian leader um, who's best known for his participation in a plot to kill somebody. And that somebody happened to be Adolf Hitler. 
can you tell me when you were doing this play on off Broadway, tell me about a couple ladies who landed in the front row. <laughs> well, they must've gone down to the, uh, half ticket, uh, price there in, in New York city. And, you know, when all the big shows were, were, uh, <laughs> sold out, it was actually a young couple and she was dressed to the nines. And, uh, I, I won't tell you they were sitting in the front row, how short her skirt was, but the point is, is that, uh, I mean, they were, they were just out for a hot n- night on the town. And I can remember when I got to the last refrain of the Bonhoeffer, uh, almost it's in the last page in which Bonhoeffer says before God and with God, we live without God. God lets himself be pushed out of the world and onto the cross. He is weak and powerless in this world, and that is how he helps us. God doesn't help us necessarily by virtue of his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. And I saw the lady look at her her, 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 her date kind of with a look like, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so much for my night in New York. <laughs> yeah, so much for a hot night in New York. I'm hearing something about the suffering of this man, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, in the middle of this pandemic is so many people struggling in different ways in their life. I, I haven't been able to get Bonhoeffer out of my mind and because, you know, people think you have it rough. Imagine trying to live a Christian life where your issue is you have Adolf Hitler running around trying to destroy the world in such an evil way. And to be asking the question as a Christian, what is my obligation? If you're looking at the option in your life of whether or not God would bless you, if you would seek to assassinate somebody, imagine the spiritual toil of that. And we're, we're going to get the privilege to look at that in, in about a month. We're going to have Deep Paul back. But. And, and Sam and TG has beautifully restored the, uh, the video pr- presentation that was done at the Edinburgh Festival, uh, Bonhoeffer1945.com. Well, let's just say that uh, tgaproductions.org, tgaproductions.org is where you can find out more uh, about Dr. Sam Mayhew's work and uh, DePaul's um, coordination with that. And I wish we had time to get into their relationship because what are you doing with this professional who's developing programs in hospitals and um, with a crazy actor like Deep Paul, but that's going to have to put us for well, another time. Remember, it takes one to know one. Uh, so, so. <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree. You know, there's so much we could get into, but you know, um, Dr. Sam, and also I should mention, if you're listening to this on the radio, if you just go to churchhurtsand.org, you can see where you can get this on podcasts and, and if um, podcast, if you would just click on that subscribe button, a great way is just hit the forward and send it to a friend uh, by text or email. Uh, we would love to have more of you involved and hopefully this show touch some people in your lives. But Dr. Sam, I want to get a little personal because, um, you know, I haven't gone through, you know, everything you've done and that, and that's tempting. That's your resume. But Um, your resume doesn't list one of the things that's most important to you and it's fresh. Uh, Would you mind telling me a little bit about your last years with your wonderful wife? Uh, Certainly. I was married 62 years. Uh, It was a a great marriage. 
And uh, the last eight years was a steady decline from Parkinson's syndrome down to Lewy body dementia. And uh, obviously losing the faculty of, of memory progressively until she passed away in December of 2019. I had a tremendous family of caregivers that assisted. And, and I prayed fervently and often for miracle. I, I don't know how many times, just, and, and it didn't happen. And I, something happened to me. I didn't have a word for it until recently. I read Lee Strobel's book on, on miracles. Mm-hmm. And the word relinquishment that came to me, uh, I was able to uh, enjoy her singing almost to the end. Uh, things, choruses like, did anybody tell you I love you today? Do you, do you know that? <clears throat> Deep Paul and her often sang together Blessed Assurance. Deep Paul, you want to pick it up? Oh, I just was wondering if John remembers that little ditty. Did anybody tell you I love you today? Did anybody tell you I love you today? God loves you and I love you and that's how it should be. God loves you and I love you and that's how it should be. God loves you and I love you and that's how I, it should be. Put me on your list. Let me be the first. I love you today. And Arlene loved that song. And yeah. she sang it right to the end, even when she had tremendous cognitive disability. Right. Well, we're still praying for you because I know it is fresh. And, um, you know, let me just wrap up with this. Um, If you've listened to this show for very long, you know, I like to drag in here people I've run across in life who have stories worth listening to. We've had a lot of old friends and family and clergy and academics. Dr. Sam and Dee Paul are new friends, an unlikely duo navigating life from very different professions, a psychologist and an actor. Someday they might do a play about that. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, we might want to remember that Proverbs was written by David's oldest son, the oldest living the oldest son, living. that is. And you know, there's a story to that qualification. His mother was Bathsheba and Solomon became widely known as the wisest world leader of his time. So what did he say again? The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I'm part of a group of broken people who meet regularly. And we have a lot of pithy sayings that we like to quote. One of them is, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Perhaps that's just a bit more cynical and humorous than Solomon's words, but the point is the same. Many of you today are struggling with life, marriage, the virus, work, addictions, depression. In the midst of the worst of times, you may have cried out, where is God in all this? Maybe you're even asking that now. When things don't make sense, when we get overwhelmed, I think thinking about God is just natural, healthy, and to be encouraged. So today we've heard from two men who tell amazing stories and who've lived some beautiful stories. They also know the pain and have lived that too. I believe there is an answer to the question, 
to be found in those stories, where is God? Did you hear the answer? In 1972, a man wrote a book with a title that has the answer in it. The author was Francis Schaeffer, the renowned theologian living in Switzerland at the time. You might want to get the book, but at least remember the title. Where is God in all this? Ready for a book title and an answer? He is there, and he is not silent. It's worth a thought. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is the shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end and enjoy God today, won't you?